Hi, everybody. We're here to talk about markets and the balancing act uh, that we see going forward in our second half outlook. It is my great honor and privilege to be joining you here from the global headquarters of the world's best capitalized bank headquartered in the world's best capitalized country. And we're going to be starting, I think, uh, the best place to start with our cavalcade of stars today is going to be around questions about rate hiking cycles and, and central banks. Um, you know, th that's been on, on all our minds uh, the past couple of weeks. And uh, maybe I think it, to start with, let's go to Salida. And why don't you take, take us through a little bit the Fed and the macro considerations? Sure. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, well, you know, a long-awaited pause in hiking finally came this month uh, from the Fed, but the Fed sent also a very clear message that this should be perceived as a skip, not an anti-hiking cycle. Um, and if you look at my slide, Mark, uh, I show it on the left-hand side of this first slide, only two of the 18 dots on the dot plot projections showed no further hikes this year. So, you know, there's quite a strong consensus in the FOMC that more tightening is coming. And, you know, th th that's the big question that everybody is asking, right? Is the Fed done? Um, now, I think this begs the question, um, why even pose then, right? So far, economy has been resilient in the face of tightening. Uh, we've seen that consumers are still using up excess savings. And it might be shocking to hear this after 500 basis points of hikes, but policy actually has not been all that restrictive by some measures with real rates at relatively low levels for most of the cycle. So I think these actually argue, um, you know, uh, for, um, you know, uh, uh, for maybe not so much hikes from here onward. Um, on the other hand, you have excess savings. Um, that are starting to run out, as you can see on the right-hand side of my slide. And if inflation continues to slow, you know, real rates will rise by default, even without further policy changes. And as these supporting factors, I think, fade, the effects of tighter policy could be felt more deeply. And I think it's hard to quantify the exact significance of these so-called lagged effects, but we know that the longer borrowing costs stay higher, the greater the impact on areas like consumer and corporate balance sheets, and also on profit margins in the commercial and credit sectors as loans mature. So these factors actually argue for Fed to be done. So in other words, we have a lot of good reasons for, for, for Fed to continue for hikes, and we have a lot of good reasons for Fed to be done. But I think here's the key, right? For the past year, uh, the Fed has been able to focus on price stability alone. But with this growth uh, still highly uncertain, the Fed is likely shifting some attention to its mandates on full employment and financial stability as well, both of which I think warrant a more cautious approach to hiking. Basically, we believe the Fed is getting more balanced with the goal of managing multiple risks while trying to avoid a policy error. The coming months will depend on data and whether we see a deterioration in the macro picture, but in general, it will be incrementally harder to resume tightening as the economy slows. So for investors, I think this means we could be in a period where the Fed is willing to let inflation stay modestly above targets uh, for an extended period. Thanks, Salida. So too hot 
of an economy and the Fed will come in still, but if, uh, if it slows too much, there's going to be pressure on corporate earnings and, and uh, consumer confidence. So that's a little bit the balancing act. Uh, but Mark, why don't you do the read through to stocks from here, you know, S&P 500 up 20% driven by a few names, uh, what to do? Sure, Mark. Uh, well, first of all, let's let's have a look at the, the first slide I, I put in here because we certainly see that there's a lot of optimism in the market right now. So when we look at things like implied volatility levels, they are clearly below historical averages, implying that if anything, it's a bit more of a benign macroeconomic environment and, and risks are lower than we would perceive them to be relative to other periods uh, in history. Equally, whenever we look at investor sentiment, it's certainly something that has been boosted as of late as well. And when we look at something like individual investor surveys in the US, people have been turning very much bullish into this sort of rally that we have seen since these October lows, like you mentioned, Mark, with equity markets of, uh, of the lows roughly 20% up. A good part of this rally has really been driven by technology stocks as well. So we've noted that anything related to AI has really been moving upwards. And AI is in many ways nothing new for us. We've been writing about it in a numerous amount of investment themes, such as the ABC of tech, uh, enabling technologies embedded into other sectors, such as kind of health tech research. But what has really been driving this kind of rally to a good extent has also been the hype around generative AI, where we expect revenues to move from around a billion dollar uh, this year up to $20 billion by 2025. So this sort of very, very narrow rally around the tech stock is something that is, if anything, a little bit concerning to us, at least when we look at valuations. So something we get very excited about, but we think maybe have overextended its, its rally a, a, a little bit. So we are actually least preferred on technology, and we tend to move towards sectors that have a bit more of a stable uh, earnings development through what we think is still a bit more of a difficult economic phase. Um, as such as consumer stables, utilities, more value-oriented uh, companies. Uh, because what we're seeing is essentially on the broader equity market on the following page, that the what we call the equity risk premium, almost independently of how we measure it, so basically how much we're being compensated for investing into broad equity markets, is again below historical averages. So the market is judging this to be an environment that is not very risky. But to Zolita's to point around these lagged effects of monetary policy, we'd find it very surprising if we weren't going to see a below average growth economic environment. And even if the Fed has sort of revealed its hand and paused now at the latest policy meeting, uh, we certainly do note that inflation risks and central bank hiking risks are still elevated in, in our views. Where to go beyond sort of the more defensive uh, sectors? Uh, I think something interesting that we're highlighting, uh, Mark, here is emerging market equities on the following page. And some of the viewers here might be saying, well, are you crazy to think about something like emerging markets into a time where things are somewhat challenging? But market participants have certainly been shying away for many good reasons, more these emerging market oriented, both debt investments, but equally here equities, where we see that the price to book discount that you're getting uh, on emerging market equities is close to historical lows. And that's at a time where there's actually quite some interesting dynamics happening here as well. So uh, again, if we look at something like China, if anything, inflation is on the lower side, central banks are cutting interest rates, the exact 
opposite of what we're seeing in many developed markets. Um, not only is it cheap, but we also have economic growth prospects, which might have disappointed a little bit in the second quarter, but it's still significantly outpacing the rest of the developed world. So that's a bit how we're reading the, the markets at the moment, Mark, and how we are trying to position for that upside that still exists in parts of the market here. Thanks, Mark. And uh, let's go back to Salida. I think, uh, you know, question on kind of related to emerging markets, you know, their performance depends a little bit on the dollar. And uh, of course, what the dollar does, in our view, has a lot to do with what the Fed is doing. So, you know, can you take us through that a bit, Salida? Sure. In terms of the um, implications of, I guess, dollars uh, trends, um, I would say on the heels of stronger than expected economic data and ongoing rate hikes so far, the dollar really held firm uh, in the first half of the year, but we don't expect this trend to persist and believe that the currency will weaken as the year progresses. Uh, from our perspective, you know, as soon as the Fed stops hiking, uh, markets will refocus on the timing of the first rate cut, uh, which I believe will undermine the dollar. We've also seen other central banks continue to hike rates limiting the yield pickup investors can get when they uh, buy the dollar. And you know, when we put our longer term lenses on, uh, dollar fundamentally uh, you know, looks weak. Um, you can see this, I think, on the left-hand side of my uh, next slide here. You know, even though economic conditions are strong, the budget deficit is still big and the trade deficit is also wide. So unless the dollar offers significantly higher interest rates than other currencies, um, it's likely to be on the weakening trend. Um, in terms of you know, how investors should think about this, I mean, first of all, as you can see on the right-hand side of my slide, it is another factor benefiting gold alongside uh, strong central bank demand and ongoing geopolitical um, and financial concern. In fact, uh, we expect gold to hit a, a new all-time high by uh, June of next year. Um, so we, what we do is we recommend diversifying your dollar holdings and believe that investors with Japanese yen, um, euro, British pound, or Swiss franc as their home currency uh, should strengthen their home bias at this point. We particularly like the yen for its um, you know, safe haven qualities and uncertain environment. And of course, the prospects for the Bank of Japan to move away from its um, ultra loose policy this year. All right. Well, as you can hear, you know, maybe the first half of the year, the name of the game has been the S&P 500. Uh, but one of the things that has contributed to our success over the years is to play the whole chessboard and really look at global uh, opportunities, both regionally and in different asset classes. So I want to thank everybody who's been uh, joining on LinkedIn. Uh, make it a great day. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. 
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 